Chapter 23 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1 by Knut Gjerset. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 23. Harald Horfagra, Unification of Norway. When Halfdan Svarte died, his ten-year-old son, Harald Horfagra, ascended the throne of the kingdom which he had founded. Harald's reign marks the beginning of a new epoch in the history of Norway, in which the union of the whole country under the rule of the Ingling dynasty was effected. The petty kingdoms, jarlums, and aristocratic confederacies were welded by Harald into a national monarchy with a system of government and administration which placed great power in the hands of the ruling sovereign. What Charlemagne had done on the continent, and Ekbert and Alfred in England, King Harald Horfagra did for Norway. It can scarcely be doubted that the example of these great rulers, as well as that of the neighboring states of Sweden and Denmark, which for long periods had been united in strong kingdoms, fired Harald's ambition and that many important features in his system of government were due to foreign influence. About Harald's early life comparatively little is known, but all sources agree that at the death of his father he was ten years of age. The Fagershina says that at that time he was young in years, but fully developed in the manly bearing which befits a king. He had a luxuriant growth of light hair which looked like silk. He was tall, strong, and beautiful, wise, prudent, and energetic. Old men admired him, and young and vigorous men sought him because of his renown and generosity, and the splendor of his court. According to the sagas, his mother's brother Guttorm was his advisor and the leader of the army, and Ragnvald Myrjarl must also have been his counselor and assistant. When Halfdan Svarte died, the kings and other petty princes in eastern Norway, who had been forced to acknowledge his overlordship, rose in rebellion against his youthful successor. King Gandalf of Ranrike made an expedition against Harald, but he was defeated and slain, and his kingdom was seized. Somewhat later, the Swedish king occupied the territory between the Glommen and the Goethe River, but Harald made a successful campaign against him, and recovered the territory, over which he now placed Guttorm as a sort of markgraf to protect the borders. The kings of Ringerike and Hedemarken, aided by Toten and Hadeland, also rebelled. It is said that they made an agreement with Gudbrand, the herse of Gudbrandsdal, that they could combine to resist Harald. They assembled to form an alliance against him, but Guttorm fell upon them and destroyed them by setting fire to the house in which they were assembled, and Harald also added Gudbrandsdal to his kingdom. By such vigorous measures, he soon overcame all opposition, and not only preserved intact his father's kingdom, but even enlarged its borders. Snorra, in the Heimskringla, tells how through a fortuitous circumstance he hit upon the idea of making himself king of all Norway. He sent messengers to woo a young maiden by the name of Gida, the daughter of King Eric of Hordeland. But she answered proudly that she would not marry a king who ruled over only a few filker. She was surprised, she said, that no king was found who wished to rule over Norway, as King Gorm did over Denmark and King Eric and Uppsala. She told the messengers that she would marry Harald when he had made himself the ruler of all Norway. This message they brought back to Harald, who thought that she had spoken wisely. She has reminded me of those things, he said, which I am surprised not to have occurred to me before and he made a vow that he would not cut or comb his hair before he had conquered the whole country. When this was accomplished, he again sent messengers to Gita, who now gave her consent, and the two were married. This little romance is ingenious in invention, like so many other poetic stories connected with the name of the great king. In the Fagershina, a similar story is told about Ragna, the daughter of Adels the rich. The ultimate union of Norway was already clearly foreshadowed by the trend of political development which formed a part of a general European movement toward a form of monarchy in which the king possessed as near as possible the totality of governmental powers. 
Halfdan Svarte had manifested a similar ambition, and might have come much closer to its realization but for his untimely death. Harald's kingdom was the largest in Norway. He was young and ambitious. He was surrounded by energetic men and wise counselors. Nothing could seem more natural to him under the circumstances than to continue the work which his father Halfdan had begun. Harald permitted the districts in Oplandene to retain their own local kings, who now, in a sense, became his vassals. The Herse of Gudbrandsdal was also allowed to retain his old dignity upon paying taxes, and acknowledging the king's overlordship. Harald now crossed the Dovre Mountains to Trindelagen, which submitted to him without difficulty, as did also Halagaland and Namdalen, where the powerful Jarl Håkon Grotgardsson ruled. Jarl Håkon was the king's friend, and aided him in establishing his authority over this part of Norway. Harald spent the winter in Trøndelagen, which he now considered as his real home. He built a residence at Lada, near the present city of Trondheim, which later became the seat of the powerful Lada Jarls, and spent his time in building a fleet, and in systematizing the administration. In the spring he set sail with his fleet for Nordmer and Romsdal. One decisive battle was fought at Solskjell, where King Hundjov of Nordmer fell. His son, Solveklova, saved himself by flight, and the two provinces submitted to Harald. Out of these districts he created a jarldom, to which he added a little later also the district of Sundmer, and placed his friend Ragnvald Murjarl in charge of the administration. From him descended the Orkney Jarls and the Dukes of Normandy. In Vestlande, where by this time the Viking activity held full sway, the love and local autonomy of unrestricted personal independence was most intense. The aristocracy feared nothing so much as a possible restriction of their old rights, and the overlordship of a national king. As Harald's success greatly alarmed them, they united their entire strength, and sought assistance even in the Viking colonies in the west for a decisive combat with the ambitious king. No single district could assemble a larger fleet, nor raise a stronger force of well-trained warriors with able leaders than Vestlande, and when the hostile forces finally met in Hafsfjord, on the coast of Rogaland, in southern Norway in 872, King Harald well knew that he faced the most critical struggle of his life. The battle is described in a poem by Skald Thorbjörn Hornklova, who tells how King Luva fought against Kjotve, the stout one, and Hoklang, the one with the long chin, whose men were armed with white shields, Gaelic swords, and spears made in the west. Luva, Old Norse Lufa, thick hair, was a name applied to Harald Horfagra in his younger days because of his heavy growth of hair. Kjotve seems to be a nickname by which the skald designates King Gudrid of Agder, while Haklang, from whom he received aid, seems to have been his son, Olaf the White of Dublin. King Olaf, who had driven out the Danes, and had re-established the power of the Norsemen, ruled in Dublin for many years, together with Ivar, probably Ivar Bonus, the son of Ragnar Lodbrok, with whom he seems to have formed an alliance. In 871 he left Ireland and never returned, which indicates that he must have died on his expedition. The three fragments of Irish annals found in 1860, states that in 871 King Amleb, Olaf, went from Erin to Lachlan, Norway, to wage war with the Lachlanegg, Norsemen, and help his father, Gottfried, because the Lachlanegg had begun war against him, and he had come to ask his son for aid. Haklung, Olaf, fell in the battle, says Hornklova. This explains why Olaf never returned to Ireland. It is clear that the kings of Vestlande, with their combined forces under the leadership of Gudrid, assisted by a Viking army from Ireland under King Olaf, met Harald in the Hofsfjord, but they were defeated after a fierce battle in which King Olaf fell. The overthrow of the opposition was complete, and Harald was acknowledged king of United Norway. During these wars, Harald had created both an army and a navy, 
and it became necessary to maintain these military organizations to protect the kingdom from foreign and domestic enemies. Piratic expeditions within the borders of Norway were now forbidden, and all inhabitants had to swear fealty to the king or leave the country. Many of the chieftains in the districts which had offered the stoutest resistance chose to emigrate rather than submit to Harald. Their estates were confiscated and became royal domesnalands, the property of the king. Of these estates he retained a number, which he placed in charge of royal overseers, Armand, and these lands became one of his chief sources of income. The greater part of the confiscated lands he gave to his followers as a payment for services rendered or to be rendered. They received the lands, not in full ownership, but in Weitzla, which means that they were entitled to the income from them in return for which they should collect taxes, furnish fully equipped men for the army, and be of aid and service to the king. King Harald derived income also from various other sources. The trade with the Finns, and the tribute paid by them, was made a royal monopoly. All derelict property belonged to the king. He also levied a personal tax on his subjects, probably also a tax on certain special privileges and incomes. The Armand were the local collectors of these taxes. This royal office, or sissel, together with that of overseer, was later given to officers called sisselmaind. Snorra says that Harald placed a jarl in each filka, who should maintain law and order and collect taxes, of which he should retain one-third for his expenses and for the maintenance of his household. Under each jarl there should be four herser, who should have an income of twenty marks a year. Each jarl should furnish sixty men for the king's army, and each herser should furnish twenty. This arrangement seems to have been made, however, only in the districts which had offered the most determined resistance, in consequence of which the old institution of Filkis King was abolished, and royal officers were placed in charge of the local administration. We have seen that in Oplanana, and in Gudbrandsdal, the old system was retained, and the same was, no doubt, the case in Trindelagen, and in fact in all districts which had submitted voluntarily to the king. The name and office of Hersa was retained, but later the Herser became Lendermand, Old Norse Lendermather, an office which corresponded in general to their old dignity. But while the Herser was an hereditary chieftain and a leader of the people, the Lendermand was a royal official who held his position by appointment, and as a rule this new dignity never became fully hereditary. The Jarls were no longer independent rulers, as of old, but became the highest officials under the king. They were the leaders of the army in war, conducted the deliberations at the thing, collected the taxes, and had charge of the local administration in larger districts. Especially powerful were the king's old friends and assistants, Guttorm, Hakon Grokgardsund, and Ragnvald Myrjarl, who ruled over many Filker. The sagas, especially the Egil's saga, which is very hostile to Harald, pictures his government as a usurpation of power, a veritable tyranny. Snorra says that wherever Harald acquired any territory, he took the odel away from the people and forced them to pay a land tax. The odel was a right to full ownership of land, vested permanently in the family, the members of which had a right to redeem the property, if it should be sold to anyone outside of the family. This was a very important right, which secured the power of independence of the large class of freeholders. To judge from the statement in the Egil's saga that in every filka Harald took all the odel, and all land inhabited and uninhabited, even the sea and the waters, and that all freeholders, bunder, should henceforth be his tenants, one might be led to think that the king was the owner of all the land and had introduced the feudal system in Norway. But this is a manifest exaggeration. The feudal system was not at that time developed anywhere in Europe, and it was never introduced in Norway. With the exception of the confiscations already mentioned, the people no doubt retained their odel now as heretofore, and there is no evidence that they even had to pay a land tax, such as the sagas complain of. 
Harald left undisturbed the things and the old legal system, and the Egilssaga states that shortly after the king's death, Egil Skallagrimsson brought a suit on behalf of his wife against Bergamund at the Gulathing, maintaining that she was entitled to inherit one half of the castle left by her father, Bjorn Herse, both of real and personal property. This shows that the right of Odal existed at that time. What Harald did was to levy a personal tax on the freeholders, possibly also a tax on certain incomes. This had been done before by his father Halfdan, but it was otherwise an innovation. As people had never been accustomed to paying taxes, they regarded this as a sign of dependence, and as so great an encroachment on their liberty that it was tantamount to depriving them of their odel and their rights as freemen, and of reducing them to tenants under the king. From very early times, the kings and chieftains had a band of personal followers called Drut, or Verdung, corresponding to the comitatus of the early German chieftains. In Harald's time, the name Herd came into use, and many foreign manners and customs were introduced. Ambitious young men flocked to Harald, and the Herd, which originally had been a very simple institution, became a real court, famous for its splendor and fine manners. King Harald Horfagra was the strictest of all kings with regard to conduct and courtly etiquette, says the saga. Liberal gifts, some of high office or other good fortune, awaited those who gained the king's favor. The Egil saga tells that King Harald sent word to Kveldulf fra Fjordina that he wished that one of his sons might become a herdmand. Kveldulf, who had been an opponent of the king, told his son Thorolf that he thought they would reap nothing but misfortune from it. But Thorolf answered, Things must then take another turn than I expect. I think that the king will give me great advancement, and I have determined to go to him and become his man. I have heard that this herd consists of the very best men, and it seems to me a great advantage to be among them if they will receive me. They are also better provided for than any other men in the land. The king is said to be very generous and always willing to promote those who deserve it. But I have heard that those who resist him and do not seek his friendship accomplish nothing. Some leave the country and some become tenants. Like Charlemagne and Alfred the Great, King Harold was also a patron of literature. Many scalds came to his court, and the herd became the center of intellectual life and literary activity. We hear of scalds before this time, but the herd scald poetry, which consisted mainly of laudatory songs composed to commemorate great events and the lives and deeds of kings and princes, seems to have been developed at Harald's court, where new themes and opportunities were offered the poets. The Union of Norway and Harald's great achievements created a new national pride, which is freely voiced in the songs of the Herdschelds. Hitherto the poets had sung about mythology and heroic traditions. Their songs were composed in the clear and classical literative verse. Their names they gave to oblivion with a certain proud disdain which does not covet honor, as did the authors of the songs of the Elder Edda. The Herdschelds sang of the great events of the day, and praised the achievements, and extolled the renown of the kings and princes who were their patrons, and who rewarded them liberally for their songs. They sought honor as well as reward, and their names have been handed down to posterity. They composed their songs in a new and intricate verse form, the Drothkvet, abounding in word transpositions and metaphoric expressions, Keninga, in which Irish influence can be recognized, Ireland being the only country where a like verse form and a similar poetic literature was found. The most noted skalds at Harald's court were Thjaldof of Finn and Thorbjörn Hornklova, who had already been mentioned. Less known are Ulve Hnuva, Ulf Sebason, Guttorm Sindria, and Aldun Ilshada, the oldest of them all, who had been skald at the court of Harald's father, Hoftan Svarta. Court jesters were introduced to create diversion and entertainment for the herd, and games resembling dice and chess, turning and breitspil, were much indulged in. 
music, especially the playing of the trumpet and the harp, declamation of poems by the skalds, rich ornaments, fine clothes, and courtly manners added charm to this circle of gifted and prominent men who constituted the herd of King Harald Harfagre. Many features of Harald's great work are, as already indicated, clearly traceable to the influence of Charlemagne and Alfred the Great, from whose constructive statesmanship he gathered both inspiration and ideas. His plan of making Norway a united kingdom, and of dividing the country into jarldoms, or larger administrative districts, are ascribable, in the main, to this influence. The revival of learning produced by Charlemagne after the darkness and confusion of the migrations must have inspired him, also with the noble ambition to become a patron of literature, and a teacher of good manners to make his court an intellectual center, and to foster in his people a true appreciation of the ennobling influence of higher culture. The stirring events at home, together with the stimulus given by the Viking expeditions, and the influence of the art and culture of the nations with whom the Norsemen now came into more immediate contact, produced in Norway a great intellectual awakening, the fruit of which was the skaldic poetry, the Eddas, the sagas, valuable historical works, and collections of old laws. In the field of literature, as in the domain of seamanship and maritime enterprise, the Norsemen manifested the most original and versatile genius of the age. King Harald learned, indeed, from others, but he was not a mere imitator. All accounts of him, whether friendly or hostile, agree in describing him as a gifted and truly great man. He was tall and strong, and a rich growth of flaxen hair crowned his majestic brow. He was a kingly and imposing figure, who inspired confidence and respect. In peace, as in war, he exhibited the same talent for organization which made him able to shape a well-ordered system in every field to which he devoted his attention. He pursued his aim with great energy and perseverance, and his hand fell heavy on those who resisted. In many cases he might have been arbitrary, even cruel and despotic, but he possessed, on the whole, a mixture of sternness and moderation which made it possible for him, not only to accomplish his first great aim, but to overcome all opposition and to rule in peace during a long reign. End of chapter 23